You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. And, and, you know, I think everybody's concerned about climate change. Where Canadians differ is how to deal with it. And I'm listening to Elizabeth May, who's been on the show. Um, and, and, you know, very personable lady, very uh, 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 seasoned politician, per se. And and I'm listening to her yesterday. And basically, the the the, the noise is, is that this is going to take a warlike effort. And we are basically Thelma and Louise heading for the cliff. And to me, if we're Thelma and Louise heading for the cliff and we're expecting everybody to dial it back to, say, the last century or maybe the one before that, it ain't going to happen. And if that's the case, we are all going over the cliff because I don't think that's a very balanced approach. And I've said that in the commentary that I have uh, that I put forth today, the the last section, the last portion of the commentary I'm going to read to you, uh, I say, I believe Canadians accept climate change. What they're divided on is how to deal with it. But most would agree it requires a balanced approach to make any transition successful. That's what's missing from the discussion. Balance. Instead, we have the world's coming to an end if we don't pay or it's all a hoax by the tree huggers. No wonder Canadians are cynical. The best way to deal with climate change is by coming up with a plan most can cope with because no one is willing to step backwards after centuries of progress. Instead, it might be easier to learn how to deal with climate change while creating renewable energy and self-sufficiency funded by what we have today. To me, that would seem like a more balanced approach than just trying to scare the hell out of everybody that says, if you don't do this now, you're Thelma and Louise going over a cliff. And to me, I find it sad because when you start making this discussion one of hysteria, then everything gets lost in the sauce. People just turn around and walk away. So where is the balanced approach when it comes to climate change? What is the balanced approach? Or are we in such an extreme situation, we got to shut her down now? No going to the cottage this weekend. No more boat. No more jet ski. No more pool in the backyard. No more drives to school. Get on the bike. Because we don't have that option now. So I think a politician's best uh, described or told us how we are going to make the transition from one to another, from one world to another, from fossil fuels to renewable energy, which is going to take a couple of decades. Until we have those discussions, we're really not going anywhere. We're just going around in circles. Because it's been hijacked by extremists, this issue. And either you're way over there or you're way over there. And I don't think that solves anything. Let's bring in Ian Lee to talk about all of this. Uh, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. He is with us now. Ian, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Uh, my pleasure, Scott. And I agree with just about everything you just said. I think I agree with everything you just said. Uh, that uh, that's very Your views are very, very similar to mine. How has this issue been hijacked by extremists? Why have we not been able to get a handle on this? Why has this been allowed to flare the way the way it has i think because it's 
incredibly complex. We're dealing with the world's climate, and um, and we're dealing we're we're dealing with gargantuan amounts of data over very very long periods of time. Meaning, you know, global warming started literally two three hundred years ago. I'm talking man-made or anthropomorphic uh, global warming, and we're talking about extrapolating into the future. And so. Um, and 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 the activists are very very deeply committed people, and and so what's happened is, in my opinion, um, is is that as they tried to mobilize public opinion and mobilize politicians about the uh, responding, they found that for, for many years people weren't responding. They meaning there there was no real support, and so I think what happened, and this is my view, and I don't uh, work for anybody but my own university. And I'm not a person who denies climate change. Climate change is real. But what I think they decided was that they had to engage in hysteria, in, in, um, in scaring the, the, the daylights out of people um, with, by exaggerating. And this is not to deny climate change. Climate change is real. The world temperatures are increasing. But while they're, uh, they're going over the edge is they are making statements that were not supported by the IPCC. The IPCC never said we were all going to die. What they said was some parts of the world will become unsustainable. Um, you know, places in the parts of the Middle East, uh, parts of India. In other words, the hotter parts of the world, the really hot parts of the world now are going to get even hotter. But that does not mean we're all going to die. It does not mean that the earth, the human being, life on earth is coming to an end. It means some parts are going to become literally uninhabitable. Now, that's not a happy thought. Let's be clear. But the idea, I mean, let's put the, and this has been said by the IPCC, but you'll never hear this from the extremists. Parts of the world will become more habitable. Siberia, which is uninhabitable because it is so cold, and then so unbearable, and, and northern Canada, north of 60, actually north of the Arctic Circle, um, is going, those places like that, and the Antarctic, are going to become more habitable. I'm not advocating this. I'm not saying, oh, whoopee, whoopee. I'm saying, let's be honest and, and not make claims that are false. And the uh, now dealing with just very quickly, Scott, with the solutions, and this is where I respectfully do disagree with Ms. May, because I've looked at the numbers and I've crunched the numbers and I've read enormously. And that's this whole, we'll be off fossil fuels in 10 years. Bill Gates is somebody who is deeply committed to the idea of climate change and is looking at his funding out of his own pocket um, uh, solutions and, and, and R&D into store, mass storage for electricity, a storage of um, you know, solar panels and, and wind and so forth. And he has said, as has the IEA, the International Energy Agency, there is no, it is physically impossible to get off of fossil fuels in 10 years. The a massive amount of transformation that has to occur, just to put this in plain English, because I don't want to baffle gab anybody, imagine, thought experiment, all the cars, all the trucks, all the planes, all the buildings, all the houses in Canada convert to electricity. That's what she's saying, to be off fossil fuels in 10 years. Yeah. We, there is no way we don't have the capacity right now with the wires going across the country into the various cities because the need for the increase in electricity to do all those things is gargantuan. So we're going to have to be building those massive, high, um, uh, those very large power lines that people don't like that cut across cities. We're going to have to construct a massive increase 
in those power lines. And, and I'm not saying we can't do it or won't do it. We will. But it's going to take probably more like 40 or 50 years. Bill Gates says it can't happen before 2050. And that's an estimate I've read from the IEA, the International Energy Authority. So I think it is misleading because they're so committed. They're not doing it because they're bad people. They're doing it because they're so deeply committed to their cause that they're making, they're raising expectations. They're scaring the hell out of people with apocalyptic stories that are not true. No 7 billion people are not going to die on Earth in the next 10 years or in the next 20 or the next 30. Are there going to be parts of the world that will become uninhabitable? Yes. Will there be environmental refugees? I think it's very likely. As people can no longer survive in certain parts of the world, they will leave, they will migrate to other parts of the world that are more habitable. But the this latest story you're getting, such as the 16-year-old, I mean, if you listen to them, we're all going to die and in a very short time, yeah. which is simply not true. And the IPCC never said that. So... Yes, there's uh, um, uh, global warming. Yes, there's things that have to be done. It's going to be massively expensive in the trillions of dollars. No reason why we shouldn't do it. And the, the, we're going to have to massively build out our electricity infrastructure. I'm talking the high speed or the, um, the very heavy wires, that uh, those steel gargantuan steel towers that hold those heavy, heavy wires to bring the electricity into every city. And if we are going to uh, convert the 16 million homes in Canada, 16 million, of which 80% are now heated by fossil fuels, natural gas mostly, uh, to convert all of them is going to take years and years and years. Just think about it. And if can this be done without nuclear? Itself, I mean, this can't be done without nuclear, can it? I'm one of the people, and I'm not a big fan of nuclear in the sense, I, first off, I don't consult any of these industries. Um, you, know, I, does pe- you know, people say, are you not worried about the fact that this stuff is radioactive, or the waste is radioactive for a long time? Yeah, it worries me. But uh, I've read uh, accounts by serious people who are not salesmen for the nuclear industry, and they've said it's impossible to complete the transformation to a fossil fuel world if nuclear is not nuclear is not in the mix. So I agree, nuclear plus renewables has to be in the mix, as does hydroelectricity, you know, damming James Bay, which is not popular with a lot of environmentalists. We're going to have to do uh, uh, many more things, and 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 it's and they're, but we're not. You're, I agree with you. I want to get something across. We're in a very very cold country in the winter time. We're the second coldest country in the world after Russia. Second coldest mean average winter temperatures. And so to tell Canadians, oh, well, you know, you just can't heat your house, is just simply not on. People are not going to accept it no matter what and no matter who tells them. It, it reminds me back to the days of Joe Clark when he said he had to increase energy prices and we remember what happened to him. Exactly. And in this instance, you know, people like Elizabeth May are saying we've got to cut off and stop heating, for example, with with uh, fossil fuels, which means principally natural gas. It's the it's the major. It's not coal anymore. Coal has almost vanished from Canada, and oil is used uh, in certain industries, transportation, you know, to distill it into gasoline mm-hmm. and aviation fuel. But our homes and the stats are. I've got the stats from StatsCan. Uh, you know, the vast majority, every 
university building and school and a hospital and high-rise building, practically every building, and, and most homes in Canada are now heated with natural gas, yeah. which is the cleanest and the cheapest and the most plentiful of the fossil fuels. But it's still a fossil fuel. And the idea that we're going to, I mean, just the cost of retrofitting one house, you've got to go into the house and you've got to rip out the walls to put in from 100 amp service. Let's get really right down to the grassroots level. To heat a house, an average 2,000 square foot house in Canada, you've got to do some major retrofits to convert that house from forced air natural gas, which is what I have and millions of other Canadians have, to convert that to electric heat. And you've got to go from a 100 amp service to a 3 or a 400 amp service, which is going to cost several thousand dollars to the electricity, to the electrician, to come in and rewire your house. These are the things they're not talking about. And that doesn't count for the account for the running these giant uh, electricity transmission wires into the, each city because the, the the we're talking gargantuan amounts of increases in electricity to you to electrify all the cars all the houses all the buildings all the high rises across canada people don't understand the magnitude of the of the of the of the task 80% of all energy in canada today and around in most countries is oil or natural gas and coal in some countries 80% of all the energy has to be replaced. And that's not something you're just going to knock out and do in, you know, two or three or four or five or ten years. It's going to take a half a century or more to uh, accomplish this. Uh, CBC in an article, fact check, Trudeau's claim that Canada is on track to meet the 2030 climate target is misleading. Uh, what has to be done in order to do this? What will have to change? How will how will lives change in Canada to to meet this? Um, I think there's things they can do that we're not going to like, and there's things they can't do because it's not physically possible. I do not believe any politician, I don't care how radical or extreme, is going to be able to convince Canadians that in the dead of winter, you cannot heat your home. And by the way, we don't have an alternative yet because we haven't built the massive increases in transmission wires. That's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. What could happen, and I've been telling, talking to my students about this, I could see the day coming very soon when they ban the car, the uh, automobile, private automobiles in the downtown of Toronto, Ottawa, Calgary, etc. They'll say, you want to go downtown? You're going to take the bus or the mass transit, the LRT or subway or whatever you want to call it, but we are not allowing uh, any private vehicles into the downtown unless they're taxis or they're delivery trucks. So I think that that day is fast coming, whether it's in five years, seven years, ten years. I think in my lifetime, and I'm not young anymore, but I think in my lifetime, we're going to see that. And they're probably going to uh, jack that carbon tax up after the next election to a much higher level, because it is preposterous that we're going to meet our, 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 our Paris uh, commitments with a carbon tax of 10 or $20. Uh, the PBO has shown we need a much, much higher carbon tax. And so to answer your question, Scott, the really interesting question, I think, is where is the, rebe- the resistance and the rebellion going to set in? At 30 or 40 or $50 a ton carbon tax? At some point, there will be very strong pushback, especially by lower-income people who can't afford it. We saw what happened in Ontario with the Green Fit program, creating what was characterized as energy poverty. Even Kathleen Wynne acknowledged it existed. Where some people, well, there you go. There's the example, Ian. I mean, it, she was removed from government because exactly. of the uh, one of the main reasons was because of the electricity file. So you, exactly. you know, you jack it up, you're on your way out. 
And and so it comes down to whether we're going to take, as you just said at the top of this of our discussion, are we going to take a more balanced approach and say, look, we're going to take longer to do it because it, that's just the reality. Thirty-eight million people, and we're going to roll out the the the, the changes in the infrastructure, the high-speed, um, heavy wire transmission lines, those heavy-duty transmission lines. It's going to take us forty, fifty years to roll it out to twenty fifty or twenty sixty, or are we going to make these uh, unrealistic? promises and and then run into a wall of resistance when people realize they literally the prices are going up so quickly so radically and so quickly that they literally cannot afford it so i think that there's a a day of reckoning coming down the road uh between those people advocating a very rapid radical transformation and i'm referring to the green party and the ndp and and to be fair even though they can't make it i mean the liberals are uh, and the conservatives do have a more balanced approach we can quibble over which one's better but i i think they're more nuanced and more they they recognize the the difficulties of pushing too hard too fast which is what i think the greens and the ndp are doing because the moment people realize what this actually means in 10 years uh, then then the i think once it starts to sink in there's going to be some very very strong resistance because it's going to affect the very lives of millions and millions and millions of ordinary Canadians, you know, contrary to this myth that you can just sort of snap your fingers and poof, everybody's electrically heated and driving cars that are electric. They can push it through quicker on cars. Let's acknowledge that. You can just say, 10 years from now, no gasoline engine car may be sold. They can do that by regulation. It's going to be vastly more difficult for the whole housing and office stock and schools and and buildings uh, of all kinds because there's a huge housing office building infrastructure out there and it's going to take a lot longer a lot longer than 10 years to rebuild and retrofit and and rewire look at San LA California they've been retrofitting California it's only one state they've been retrofitting for 50 years hmm. for for um, against earthquake and they're not even close to have fully retrofitted all the buildings and if California is very, very wealthy, and, and they're very committed because they understand the big one is coming, and yet the cost is so gargantuan, and there's so many buildings, that's the issue. And with wiring and rewiring, they're all behind the walls. You've got to rip the place open. Yeah. It's, not, it's not like painting your walls mm. when you retrofit a house. Ian Lee has been with us, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University, talking about climate change and a more balanced approach to making this all happen. Ian, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.